if you learn how to control it, the entrepreneurial brain becomes the most powerful tool in your arsenal. In this podcast, I will dive deep into the psychology and biology behind it to help you understand yourself and ultimately become your best, most authentic self. Welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast. Today, I'm here with Monique Lindner, who is a holistic high-performance coach, lifestyle design specialist, TEDx speaker, and location-independent entrepreneur. Over the last 20 years, she has worked with different-sized businesses, from startups to Fortune 500 companies like Apple and their teams, helping them to optimize their performance, leadership, and work culture. Very excited to, to be here today with Monique. And yeah, just to start, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Maurice. Nice to be on here. Let's start a little bit with your journey from, I think you, your background is also in the corporate world and then to the mm -hmm. location independent entrepreneur. So when did that took place? How did that unfold and why? So start there. All right. Um, so originally I'm from Germany. Um, I was born behind the wall. I'm saying this because it's a little fun fact. <laughs> so I'm uh, originally from East Germany, from Dresden. And um, yeah, you know, I grew up like um, maybe a lot of people without a lot of money. Actually, we didn't, we didn't have money at all. Um, and You know, I was brought up with all of these beliefs of like money doesn't grow on trees and all of these things. And as an East German in Germany, that's still a lot of debates around this and whatever. But we also had a little bit of a um, <clears throat> of a disadvantage being from East Germany. You know, we were set to have a really strong accent. And so we were in our school education taught to... Uh, speak a very specific um, German accent. It's called Hochdeutsch. Um, you may know it. I think you're. Yeah, because are I speak it. <laughs> yes, I'm from Düsseldorf, so from the west, the okay. other side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's very interesting because a lot of people don't believe that if they haven't been from East Germany, a lot of people haven't seen it because it's very subtle. And so my journey was um, a little bit difficult in forms of like, I, no matter where I was applying for jobs, I was rejected, not because I wasn't good, not because I didn't have a good education, but they found always some different reasons um that were really ridiculous to be honest and so i very early in my life went off the beaten path and um i think it was good also because i really wanted to uh you know but it, it i was forced to to take action on my plans anyways so basically <clears throat> I was 13 when I started working um, because my dad lost his job after the German reunion. That's a whole thing for East Germans anyways. And then, uh, you know, my sister was working already. So I was working to just keep up with bills and whatever. And um, I kind of liked it. it I kind of liked <laughs> having a little bit more responsibility and the money in the pocket and um, all of these kind of things. And so I started taking on more jobs also because I had to pay more school fees, like the books, the these and that and the bus and here and there, simply because my parents didn't have the money. And um, it added on to uh, me using work as a coping mechanism, which obviously I didn't know by this time. I found out much later, right? Um, but work was a great coping mechanism because I was really good at working. I was so good. So that was 15. Um, I was a team manager basically in the in the petrol station <laughs> so very funny i had people there they were 50 years old they were already working there for eight years and yet here i come a 15 year old oh, and wow. suddenly i'm the shift manager or the team manager of certain people there which was really interesting to experience that And it just went on that wherever I went, wherever I was working, I was always being put in the manager or leadership or control role somehow. And I think it had to do with like, I was just not afraid to tell people what to do. And I wasn't afraid to tell people when they were doing things inefficiently and it could have been done better, right? And so fast forward a few years, I lived in London when I was 19 and 
I moved back after I finished my university. I lived in Spain for a year afterwards, and then I moved to Berlin. And in between, um, I had a cardiac arrest and uh, was clinically dead for 25 seconds because of numerous chronic illnesses, but overworking a lot, right? Because coping only doesn't last so long. And um, I found out, you know what, that working thing that didn't work well for me. So I'm going to try it differently. And so in my German mind, uh, I mean, you may know it, Maurice, we are told, you know, like, you need to work hard and like, um, time is money and all of these type of things, like everything is about work. When you were growing up, at least I had this feeling in the 90s growing up there. And so I thought like, I just did it wrong. I did this whole work thing wrong. So I doubled down. So by the age of 22, I was a team manager for 160 people by Siemens Enterprise Networks. And uh, because of that, we had a, our project was extremely chaotic. And so I had to work a little bit more and a little bit longer and <laughs> sleep a little less. And that turned out in my first burnout with a spinal injury by the age of 24 and being bullied for over two years in numerous companies, really, because I think in Germany, we don't talk about uh, that a lot, but there's a lot of bullying and harassment going on in the workplace, lots of toxicity, um, and not only in Germany, I see this everywhere in the world. But basically, fast forward again, um, after I lived in London by the age of 19, I decided already I wanted to travel, which I've done with the vacation time in Germany. That's given by law, right? We have like four weeks, I think, every year. So I would travel a lot. But then I was like, man, this whole working thing, I'm burned out. I have a spinal injury. It's still not working for me. So I'm going to try something completely different. And by age 26, I left Germany for good. So that's been eight years ago. And ever since I was a scuba dive instructor, I worked in nine different countries. I visited 45 and I traveled around and I built my own business. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, especially because I can relate to that on many levels, like also from Germany, also like very much in this hustle, hustle, hustle. For me, it was starting very much with consulting, but also different, different projects with FinTech. And then at some point, I was also like, damn, going to burnout, working like till midnight every day. And then the pressure at one point was so much, I even got a panic attack because I messed some up, some analysis. And then the partner was, but we need it. We need it tomorrow. And then at 3 a.m. I still was like, damn, I'm supposed like totally over time to do it. To Yeah, then going the same route like you. So what are you doing now in your location, independent lifestyle? You mentioned scuba diving instructor, but I guess that's that's not accurate at the at the time of now. That's right. So that was eight years ago. Um, which I, by the way, also thought about doing my dive master just uh, six months ago, which didn't happen yet. But <laughs> I think at least my dive master I want to do so. Yeah, it's really funny. Like I, um, so I continued a little bit with this whole um, overdoing things. Usually for a scuba dive instructor, it takes you years to get to this point mostly because people also don't do it all at once, right? Mm. But I was like, nah, F that, I'm going all in. And I did it within eight months and I never even snorkeled before. I don't even know how to use a snorkel. And I went from zero <laughs> to scuba dive instructor in eight months. And for people just to understand, usually you have to take many courses. You have to go on hundreds of hundreds of dives. That's hour, like hundreds of hours, mm. right? So I did this full time every day, 10 to 12 hours diving and later afterwards working in their office because we had like a work exchange just so that I could become a scuba dive instructor within those eight months. My goal was 12 and then I did it in eight. So the overachieving chairman came through there again. So but now I have a business for five years already, um, five and a half actually. And I went back to my roots. So my roots are basically in uh, project and process management and in team leadership. And <clears throat> since I lived in, in so many different countries, I have seen how communication and work ethics are so different all over the world, right? But people always expect that they are understood the same way that they are 
communicating something, mm -hmm. right? So I tell someone in, let's just say in Mexico, right? I tell them like, I need you to do this ABC and I need it until then, right? And that's what I mean. But they understand maybe something completely different based on how they grow up with their cultural background, their way of communication, their cultural rules about how to be polite, what to say, not to say, how to, be, you know, all of these things. So especially people like Germans, they often get really frustrated <laughs> because yes. they can run into um, cultural backgrounds like the saving face mentality, very big in Southeast Asia, right? Or, for example, uh, time constraints like in countries like in Latin America, different ones like Mexico or maybe in Costa Rica, you tell them a time, but they come like whenever they just at least it's the same day, maybe, you know, and <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> right. And so <clears throat> as Germans, for example, that's an absolutely no go. You would like you and me probably both know this was one of the biggest adjustments for me. The time is just not the same time when you talk about it. And uh, being very clear can be absolutely offensive and things like this, right? So I built this into my business and I created this framework called the time method, uh, T-I-M-E. So we like the time, right? And it goes, uh, it builds basically the strongest foundation that you need in business and life so that people finally have time freedom and they can design their lives however they want without the hustle, without the grinding, without all of this guilt and the shame and the pressure and everything that society usually tells us we need. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And I can relate so much. I did my semester abroad in Malaysia and also the story that like asking for the, the football place and people were like, yeah, yeah, it's there. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm going there and like, there's nothing. And then we'll ask again, yeah, 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 there, there. And they're like, until we figured out they had no clue, but I couldn't say, no, I have no clue. Sorry. They were just saying, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, so you get to hang like it's so unbelievable, especially with the German mindset. But yeah, before we yeah. Get, uh, get deeper into your method, I would love to ask because we spoke about the drive, which manifested itself in many ways, like working, working, diving, diving, diving. So I mean, we, we already heard a little bit about like your childhood. It started early working, 13, 13. But have you investigated that drive now a little bit more? So where did that come from? And yeah, maybe any insights that you have about that drive? Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's very personal for me because I was born with two <clears throat> life-threatening chronic illnesses. One was a kidney failure um, that actually had to be... Uh, with surgery repaired basically by the age of three and a half. It was very early to repair kidneys, but it worked kind of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the other one is a neurological disorder that basically manifests itself as migraines, seizures, so epileptic seizures. And um, that's also what led to my um, cardiac arrest. Now, <clears throat> I recently found out when I say recently I mean uh, about two and a half years ago that also I'm on the autistic spectrum and I'm able to trace everything back to this one event when my mom was pregnant um you may you may remember I'm not sure but when my mom was pregnant there was this big um nuclear explosion in the Ukraine in Chernobyl and uh, we, uh, a lot of people don't know, they don't really understand the impact. And we had a lot of uh, radiation fallout over the east and south of Germany. It even went up until like the southern UK. In the west of Germany, there was also some, but it wasn't as big, apparently. I'm just saying what I know from research, right? wasn't as big as um, <clears throat> it was in the east and in the south of Germany. And the problem was also that the East German government was hiding that and refused to tell people about that, which meant that for four years until the German reunion, people in East Germany, A, didn't know that their water, all of their milk, all of their veggies and any produce was up until 1,000 times more contaminated than you're supposed to be intaking. And even crazier, the government 
would take the produce they weren't able to export anymore and give it for free to kindergartens and schools. <laughs> oh, wow, man. <laughs> That's next level. <laughs> yeah, right? And so my mom was a kindergarten teacher. And obviously, she was excited mm. to have finally have veggies because you know about the GDR, right? We didn't have a lot of things. The bananas, so the banana funny. joke is one of the... <laughs> it's horrendous. Like, people, it's... This is effing ridiculous, this joke. But yeah, so people... <laughs> I think anyone else outside of Germany doesn't get that joke. So... Like, just know. for the listeners, um, just for the listeners who don't know anything about history or don't get what the banana joke is about, East German people had food stamps and had to stand in line. And actually, my parents told me about this the last time I visited them, which I didn't know myself how crazy this was. They had food stamps once a month to get, for example, <clears throat> a fruit that they usually didn't have, like oranges and bananas because hmm, that's where the joke comes from and they would have to stand in line the whole day i'm not kidding they would arrange with their work that first my dad would stand in line early in the morning for like five hours and when he had to go to work my mom would switch with him and would wait another like four or five hours to only get and here's the joke <laughs> like two bananas for four people and maybe one or two oranges, and they would pay an equivalent of now maybe 15 euros or something. It's freaking ridiculous, right? And so the banana joke is basically they would call us like monkeys or whatever, because when bananas were there, everyone would run for it, right? <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, so my mom and I particularly got highly contaminated because obviously she ate a lot of more veggies and had more milk and whatever during this time as a kindergarten teacher. Anyways, let's not talk about that. But it gave me a lot of um, extra uh, challenges, basically, with kidney failure, with this neurological symptoms, and so on. So as a child, <clears throat> I was very hyper. I was always happy. I was like, oh, my God, life, woo. But I was in constant pain. And you couldn't see it. Because I looked happy, I looked healthy. So a lot of people around me would start saying like, oh, she's just pretending, you know? And she's just like needing attention and stuff like that. And like my mom and my dad, they would drag me to doctors for five years until they finally found out I had migraines and seizures and everything. Until then, I sit in the classroom on the chair listening to the teacher and fall off, start vomiting. And still people oh, wow. said, oh my God, she's just pretending. Like oh. she makes herself vomit. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, you know, and you're a child, you're a six or seven. Mm. So here's the thing. I cannot explain to people the extreme, I mean it, extreme excruciating pain that migraines are. It's the most horrendous and if you're a child, but you just want to be happy and live your life whenever, you kind of don't, uh, at least that was my choice. I didn't give in. So I was just like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to tell anyone I have this pain, you know, so I, it will go away. That was my thinking. So if I ignore it, ignore it, and if I don't tell anyone, it will go oh, away. Oh, it's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah it didn't work I ended ignoring things suppressing emotions that has been also my go-to but <laughs> oh yeah that's that's a German thing so we are so good at suppressing and ignoring <laughs> just look away it's not there what how does it like uh pushing it under the rock right mm. um <laughs> my rock was so big so basically what ended up uh getting me into the hospital a lot was me not saying things also because I didn't want people telling me all the time I'm pretending. Mm. So it was a cycle. And if you're asking me what happened with this whole coping and like the overworking, really the only time that I got kind of like brace was always when I achieved something, right? So I started dancing ballet half a year after my kidney surgery. I was three and a half years old. So when I was like, just before my, uh, before I turned four, I started dancing in ballet and I was one of the best there and I got solo roles I was dancing in front of 5,000 people I got on stages and whatnot and oh my god yay so what did I do I just 
did more, you know, I achieved more, I got better, I was the best in school, you know, like all of these things. So achieving was always my go-to um, coping mechanism for everything. So when something went wrong, just achieve more, you know, get more done. And funny enough, that is, that went very toxic for me and it killed me to be up to be just quite frank. And I see this in a lot of people. So I'm doing this was real, was real work to still want to achieve things without it being toxic and without it actually harming me more than it's doing for me, if that makes sense. And that was, that took over 10 years. Mm. Oh. Mm. And that's not what I wanted to hear the last sentence, because before that I could relate a lot, especially because it's one super thing that also I see with clients, with people I interview who are just very drive, like it very often comes from like a place of not good enough. And especially I call the podcast the entrepreneurial brain, because many entrepreneurs also have things like autism or even more. So what I see here more is like also ADHD or dyslexia, hyperactivity, this all in or nothing brain which then in combination with same in your story, some you're a little bit different and you get that negative feedback, sit still, blah, blah, blah. So early childhood, you get all these negative stories coupled with that, like just not feeling good enough. And then comes this drive, which may it, it propels you and often brings these people to, to excel at levels. But at one point, if you don't want to end up in, in burnout and be like never happy, because it's I, I've seen even people and when I hear it now in podcast recently, I've listened to one and there was a guy like, yeah, I've now these companies, but now I'm going into venture capitalist and then I can relax and shut down a little bit and my life would be much more chilled when I'm then in a stage of investing and having multiple. So it's always minds up the next thing then I will be happy. So yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about the transition from you because that's exactly also now what I'm in, in the process of. I've, I've made good progress already, especially plant medicine, I feel, helps to propel a lot of these things. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, that shift from your side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About my whole framework. But the book is also about... Um, kind of like I'm doing a few of those things, right? And I think the framework really helps a lot with it because um, I figured out that from most of those things, from most of the pillars, so it's like time management, impactful leadership, mindset mastery and energy efficiency, I always only had two in place and it was time management and impactful leadership. And the other two, like the mindset mastery, I always thought I was really good at mindset, but what it was, was I was really resilient and I was really good at suppressing emotions. Mm. <laughs> so sure. <laughs> but being resilient only gets you so far, right? It always gets you to the point back where you're repeating patterns, where I found out like, oh my God, I... I literally identify myself with a survivor. And so it was about, um, I think it was like five years ago when I started my business <clears throat> that I ended up in the cycle of everything is so well and then it crashed. And I mean, it was crashing. I mean, not just like, like I didn't have money or whatever. Like I crashed my health went down the road. Like I didn't have anywhere to live really. I got robbed on the streets of all of my money. I didn't have credit cards. No one could anywhere send me money because all of my bank accounts were blocked. Like literally I had to, like, it was fucking nuts. Sorry. Now I said it out loud anyways. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can beep it. And um, it's an all it open just, podcast here. Okay. It was just, it was just crazy how this roller coaster was like, I went high, but I crashed lower than you can go. And then I worked myself up again. And I was like, oh my God, Monique, you have such tenacity and grit and perseverance. You're such a survivor. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, look at me. And then just over and over again. So I had to undo wanting to be a survivor. It was very subconscious. I didn't even realize that until someone said to me, do you like to be a survivor? And I'm like... Yeah, I mean, I don't, and then I realized this question, I'm like, that's a, that's a trick. 
it's a trick question, isn't it? And they were like, I just, I don't know. I want to ask them like, no, 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 it's a trick question. I know trick questions. They're really, they're bad. Why are you asking me this? And they're like, well, have you looked in your life and then maybe seen a pattern where you need to survive all the time? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And I'm not saying, I want to say one thing here because I feel like this is very spiritual bypassing. A lot of people who are very into the law of attraction, they're saying you're putting this upon you, right? You're attracting this into your life and whatever. And I honestly, to me, this is toxic because I can tell you I had things in my life happening to me that are the most horrendous and I don't wish them upon anyone. And I promise you never in my life could I have even thought that I attract things like this to me. So I don't appreciate the language that some people use was like, oh, you're attracting these things so you can learn a lesson from it or whatever. It's spiritual bypassing. Sometimes there is no lesson. Sometimes there's no reason. Sometimes people are just really horrible people doing horrible things to others. And sometimes there are amazing people helping out, you know? But I just want to say that sometimes, because that has what actually has been stopping me in my healing a lot, trying to find the reason, trying to find the lesson, having to make everything a good thing. Like, uh, I'm just going to say, because it's anyways in the book and whatever, and you find it. I was raped by the therapist who was supposed to help me with my spinal injury um, from my burnout. He raped me. Now, please... And I don't want to have an answer. It's a, it's a rhetoric question, right? Please, anyone who finds something good in that or tells me like, you're just so much stronger because of it. No, you know what? I also was mentally fucked up afterwards, to be honest. And I had a lot of trouble to, uh, to trust anyone. And it took me a lot of therapy and a lot of money to recover from this shit. So honestly, there wasn't anything good about that. And the police in Germany didn't do shit. So there is no good thing about that, to be honest. I could have easily lived without that and be just as strong and as cool as I'm today, you know? So I, I want to just bring awareness of that because there's so much, especially in the last two years in this beautiful pandemic <laughs> we're living in, um, so many things that people kind of bypass with like love and light and with, you know, only... Um, there's, oh, there's just good things happening. Like if it's not happened to you, it happens for you. You know what? No, this, no, it's, it happened and that's enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can also relate to that on, on certain levels because I'm also very much from the entrepreneurship world and the last few years I've been very heavily like in the conscious spiritual world. And there are a few things that I've been blambling and wrestling with to a certain point this point it's still something because of the one hand i also see like the, the stoic philosophy and you have to accept everything like it comes and try to find it but also really totally get your point that especially if there are people coming from the outside and telling you find find the, the good thing and being raped by the therapist which is like a really crazy thing to even yeah have that that therapist right, to even like, them, right yeah and here's the thing there's a difference i accepted it right I totally accepted it. I've done my healing. I took responsibility for my part to move on. And I still don't need to find something good in that or to make this a beautiful lesson for my spiritual growth. No, F that. No. <laughs> then that, there doesn't need to be anything good about this person in my life. I can still move on. I've forgiven everything and everyone in this whole thing, not for them. God bless. No, <laughs> um, but for myself, you know, but still there's a difference. And I think that's where sometimes people kind of mix it up and they bend the rules and their love and lighting about everything. No, I have no love for this person. Why would I? No, I have nothing. That's all like literally nothing. I have no feelings and that's the best thing I can have, you know? Yeah. There's a place and time for that. It's definitely okay. Yeah, really. You've been through a lot. So it's always at one hand, it's always nice to, to relate to people who've been to a lot, even though I hope that doesn't come, come across now in, in the wrong no, way. No, no, I know what you mean. 
um, yeah. But yeah, another thing that I wanted to go into a little bit, like this, this, this theme of scarcity, because you mentioned you never had a lot of money, so you had to work early. So is there also some things in terms of your money mindset that, that shifted over times? Um, yeah, maybe let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, a lot. Uh, I think one thing I had to do and work on, and still it's a continuous thing, right? Let's not kid ourselves here. Um, is that I needed to be okay with earning more money than my family. And <clears throat> this has been this has been a little bit strange because uh, again, my family now is in a good position. Like each of them are in a good place. They're like my dad, he has, I mean, bless my dad, he's like the bestest person in the world. And he <clears throat> has worked so hard for us to, you know, increase uh, our living situation and to make, just to make everything better, you know, and he has like, he has gone back to school when he was 38 because he couldn't find a job. There was literally no jobs for East Germans in Germany. And so he went back to school and he made, he uh, opened his own business and he made it like it's, it was a freaking hard journey, but that's also kind of what got stuck. So I was like, oh, it's so hard to have your own business. You will struggle so much. You will go through so many hardships. And like seeing this was just, it was rough, right? And then my mom, she's always a little bit more on the positive end with her outside thoughts, but inside it looks a little different. So then the congruency isn't always there. And she's saying something, but the doing is kind of like, or like how it looks like is different. So that sometimes has, has been uh, difficult to see, you know? And so there was a whole lot of undoing, really like everything. Also, especially because when I started earning more money um, and that was already in my German career, that I started earning more money than my family, my sister and my parents. I had to hear a lot of things like how this is not fair. I'm not supposed to make more money in such short amount of time, um, all of these things. And it's now different, but it took, again, we're talking about so many years here where I just kept doing my thing. And sometimes I just said like, I don't wanna hear about whatever your opinion is. I just don't want to hear it. You can talk about me behind my back. I don't care. But I don't want to hear what you think about what I do. I don't want to hear what um, what your advice is or whatever, unless I'm particularly asking. And I didn't because it, it, they're not doing the things I'm doing. They don't understand the internet as much, you know. And so I particularly set very strict boundaries with my family on what we're talking about simply so I can keep my mind free of all of these nagging voices in my head, you know? Because I needed to unravel anyways, like a whole childhood full of these voices. <laughs> so I couldn't add another like young adulthood to it. I was just like, nope, I need to filter a lot. So yeah, I also to made uh, the decision to put some boundaries back then. So you, otherwise you would have even more to uncover. I mean, that was like, um, I started it about like 10 years ago, mm. really just before I left Germany. So yeah, but still I was like 25, 26, mm. right? So 24, 25, really with this burnout and that, and that spinal injury, everything changed for me. I, it was the big bang, mm. um, really. And I was like, everything in my life is just horrible. I don't like it. I don't like my life. I look like I do. I have everything that everyone tells me I should have. And I don't like these things. And so I just started, you know, to sell everything and to, and to, um, yeah, to, I didn't go to restaurants anymore. I stopped smoking. I stopped coffee. I stopped sugar. I, um, if friends wanted to meet me, they had to meet me somewhere where it was free. I put all my money in my bank account and started saving up and all these kind of things. It's like I stopped watching TV. I didn't go to movies anymore. I thought it was completely brainwashing um, how 
it, like all of these movies were just talking about like women who say no mean yes and all of these bull crap and like um how they're pushing always a certain narrative on us like you know what society you need to have a nine to five job and then kids and then you're retire and in retirement you can't go anywhere because the house market is too expensive like i don't know it's like the same old same old for how many centuries and i'm i just didn't want to subscribe anymore so I'm, i unsubscribed from every external out of the matrix yeah and it worked fairly well and so with the money mindset a lot of that too i also did hypnotherapy which is really helpful because sometimes you just don't get to your subconscious until mm. someone else does um so i did that and yeah it's a continuous work to be honest mm. sometimes i sit here and i'm like oh my god i can't afford that and i'm like eh, hey wait a minute <laughs> no and then i go to my bank account and i calculate how many times i could afford it without having troubles and then i'm like yeah why the heck did i just say that you know yeah it's crazy where these things come from now yeah. yeah i think that's one of the the best things in the end like this plugging out of the matrix is also something especially in these times that i'm really grateful for when i see the, if you are traveling it's also this combination of getting other perspectives other cultures other ways of, of living with the internet with your entrepreneurship you're really plus and doing the internal work it's like it's powerful powerful combination if you then see also your own evolution your your business your life the people you are around with so i feel we can be very grateful in the end for making this this decision and having in the end is this big bang which might sometimes be needed um yeah that being said I mean, you had mentioned already your method. I would like to dive a little bit deeper into that. So do you work there with individual people, with, with companies? And where do you start? How does it entail? You already mentioned these uh, five, five steps, I think, time. So let's get into that. Four, almost. Time. Time like the time. <laughs> time of the time. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> basically... My dyslexia. Uh, Dyscalcia? I don't even know. <laughs> That's totally fine. Don't worry. I had to calculate too. I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah. How many letters are there? like? Isn't it four? <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, um, the framework really helps. Uh, I, I currently work with like business owners and entrepreneurs mostly, but most of them have either a small team or are starting to build one. And I have been working previously with like startups, with agencies, with like, um, you know, Fortune 500s and whatever. But I, I really want to bring this knowledge to entrepreneurs and business owners because I feel like, first of all, that's where it's most needed. And second of all, um, the people, the people who don't know it are the ones who need the most, obviously, and are the ones who are not yet at the place where the knowledge will get you. So that means the Fortune 500s and the bigger companies and the corporations, whatever, they have at least these pillars in place somewhat and they have more access to this knowledge, right? And the reason why I'm saying this is because at least one of the either founders or CEOs or COOs or whoever is there in like operations for them, they know operations they know how to build processes how to build systems how to uh, uh well you want to hope that they know something about leadership most people only know about management they don't actually know about leadership it's a difference i do not teach management um i teach leadership it's a difference but we are still seeing out there a lot of management okay fine at least Hopefully they have some management in place. That's the bare minimum, but they have everything and they have the funds. So I want to bring this knowledge to people who really need it in order to grow bigger, in order to build um, their legacy and whatever they wish to bring into this world. But I also feel like entrepreneurs have much bigger impact because we're the people, right? who want to change the world. And for some people that looks like, oh, I want to help entrepreneurs scale their agencies, whatever. Okay, fine. But 
most of the people I work with, they want to have some social impact. And that means to work in their local communities or to bring some injustices to awareness or to, uh, you know, do something good with their money for animals, for the environment, for um, minorities, and whatever it is that the reason is, but I want to be a part of that and I want to amplify that and be able to bring more social impact causes to life and to success. And so that's why I think this method is so important. So the four pillars are T for time management, I for impactful leadership, M for mindset mastery, and E for energy efficiency. And energy efficiency, I don't talk about like wind energy, solar energy, or whatever. I talk about your own energy efficiency, meaning how do you use your energy throughout the day? When is actually the energy at your highest? And when is it a little bit like low or maybe dips? And I can tell you, that I talk to people five to 10 minutes and I know it. I immediately can tell you your chrono energy type, which I have developed, but they're basically a 24 hour cycle in your body. Your circadian rhythms and your chronobiology is set, right? But they're still different for most of the people. So no, not everyone should be joining the 5am club, for example, it can be detrimental to some people. Actually, to most of the people, it can be detrimental. And so I love Robin Sharma. That's the founder of the 5am club. And I love some of his books and tips. And yet, Robin, I'm so sorry, but your 5am club for everyone is BS. We need to stop talking like people have to push through. Mm -hmm. We also need to stop talking like you can just pull all-nighters, drink Red Bull and coffee and be done with it. Yo, you're killing yourself with this stuff. This is ridiculous. Caffeine, I don't know if you know, uh -huh. but caffeine has a half life between five to 10 hours, a half life. You don't feel the impact, but it stays in your body for much longer, up to 48 hours. Did you know that? Yeah, like with supplements in the body and the rabbit hole, I've been into very many rabbit holes out of personal experience, like sleep is something I struggled with all my life. And actually also the caffeine thing, it took me really long, long time to find out like, oh, damn, like in the afternoon, I, I can't drink coffee. And even now, like doing internal work and increasing my sensitivity even more, it's like, no, I, I don't really do caffeine or coffee anymore in a few days, but then even like at nine in the morning and then i'm like okay just want coffee please because otherwise or, or mate or whatever but yeah it's definitely one of the things that many people are not aware of but it's also the beauty having things like an aura ring to really sleep it's one of the so 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 important and impactful to optimize that yeah so <clears throat> yeah people can for example buy my book mm. it's it looks like this it has the same name the time method but mostly i work with them one-on-one -on -one. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, you can't scale this. It's all right, no worries. I like to work one-on-one -on -one, um, with people because they're all individuals, right? There is no one size fits all. And with this framework, it's very important that I, like in the first session, I go really deep. Sometimes it takes 90 minutes, sometimes it takes two and a half hours. And I just need them to talk. So a lot of people there, I don't want to, I don't want to go out of the, uh, what you need to know. I didn't, I'm like, no, I need to know everything. And even though I know in the first five to 10 minutes already what the, what our journey will look like, but still I need to know everything because the more I know, the more I can help, right? I can see and hear, that's a gift of my autism. I can see and hear in patterns. So whatever you say, immediately I hear in like geometric forms and maps and matrices. <laughs> so I can help you step out of it with listening to you, right? And so then I create new habits, routines, um, energetic upgrades and like, you know, like systems and processes for your business, um, team structures. Sometimes I throw over the complete business model um, 
you know, things I do. And I'm not a typical coach. I'm not asking questions and reflect back to you. I'm more a consultant. I'm telling you what to do because I know this may sound difficult for people, but I know better. I know better because I'm... <laughs> I love it, yeah. <laughs> I've doing it for 20 years. And if I didn't know better, why the heck did you come to me then in the first place? Right? Like, and I, here's the thing. I leave room for discussion. That's not the thing, right? But like, you ask me a question and you pay me money and I'm telling you what's the thing. So that's how it goes. <laughs> that's very interesting. But especially also, as you said, it's then the, the difference. Like there's obviously place for, for coaching where it's really about asking the question, reflecting, yeah. and there's a place for consulting. And then it can yeah. always be a mix of it. So what I would I would be really curious to see if you had like run into some 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 problems with clients not, not committing or some conflict in that, or did it work very well because you're screen clients? So anything you want to share along those, this approach, but I tell you what to do because I know better, which I love how you put it, but <laughs> the confidence is there. So that's a good, good thing. I think it's really important in my, in my industry, to be honest, to be confident, but only if you know what you're doing, Yeah. right? If you're staying, if you're here and you're telling people some productivity hacks that you read on Tim Ferriss blog post, then mm. I honestly, um, I have a big problem with that and your clients will have a big problem with that because it won't work for them. And that's the thing that I've seen a lot in my industry. And I'm going to be honest, I, I'm one of the very few women that I see out there who's doing this work. And also with a mindful approach and a holistic approach to performance and lifestyle design, right? Most of my colleagues are very much into like push, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And really interestingly, I think it's really, it's a fun fact, to be honest. A lot of people who do leadership training do this with a history of being in the military. Now, just I just want to ask a question here. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, how far did the military get us to real good leadership so far? I know they're just, they're just operating on commands, but I don't know about leadership and the military in any country, to be honest. I, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be fair. With the military leadership, that's where my zone of competence definitely ends and something I haven't thought about a lot. But I get your, your main question, especially with like, it's, it's the approach that we have in high performance also in our Western world, doing, 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 structures, habits, commit to the 5 a.m. club, this very rigid, also the individual, like the, the mm. feminine, the, the flow, the individuality, the connectedness to emotions for the long. And when I started, I was exactly like during describing, coming from this purely masculine approach and just like working, especially working with plant medicine and being in this conscious world, self-expression, singing, dancing, like all these, these, like, so I also ended up to a very similar kind of holistic approach. But before that, I was also very much in a spam need to have these habits in place and this and the strategic approach. But yeah, the, the other part was very missing, which I now find it's even more valuable because otherwise you run into the same. You're building a prison for yourself with high performance, especially if you then don't operate and don't even question where's the drive coming from. It's like coming from this place of not good enough. And then you do all these biohacking and take supplements just to keep you running and yeah, high performance, high performance, but it's high performance. And for me, how I define it, it's also sustainable and it should lead to like a happy and fulfilled life and not just more revenue, more revenue, scale, 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 and having this one-sided dimension and then trying to pluck all these pieces together to keep you running towards that as fast as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I actually said that to one of my coaches today. Um, the If you look back in the last, like, five to ten years in high performance, high performance comes from athleticism, right? And from, actually from also what? from cars. Um, athletes, hmm. for athleticism, I, athleticism, I yeah. had an ism at the end, but I don't know if that's a thing. So athletes and uh, cars, actually. So if you Google high performance, a lot of these things that come up are cars, machines, like as in factory machines, and athletes. Now, here's the thing. 
if you look at the last five to 10 years, what has changed for athletes in the performance space? So let's say Champions League, profi football, uh, professional um, uh, ice hockey, professional uh, basketball, profession, whatever professional sports, right? The thing that has changed is, first of all, the age that people still engage in that sport or that they retire. They retire now than they used to in professional sports. And I'll tell you the reason why in a second. Now, the second thing that has changed, and that's exactly the reason why people retire later, is that one of the main focuses in high performance in athletes now is rest, recovery, and rejuvenation. <laughs> so one of the main things you do as an athlete is to rest, recover, and rejuvenate. They do saunas, ice baths. They do breath work. They do meditation. They go to infrared. They do um, vitamin IVs. They do whatever they can naturally, right? As natural as possible to rest, recover, and rejuvenate. Because here's why. And, and funny enough, this is for machines too. You can't drive your car 24-7 forever. It's going to explode in your face or break down or whatever. It's never going to happen. Same as factory machines. We can't even build machines that are high-performing 24-7. So why in the heck <laughs> should we do that? Like we have to say, we are not machines. No, but not even machines perform 24-7. <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. They need wow. cooling water. They need, like, I, I have so much to say about that, but that's basically what has changed, especially in performance. The focus now is rest, recovery, rejuvenation, right? It's not anymore the performance. If you look at the, at the Olympics, right, their training is on 50, 60% so that one time they can go freaking all in and perform for their lifetime. Mm. Yeah. I just yesterday I made a Facebook post because I had the exact same situation happening in the gym, which I again coming also from the spec of like bam, full effort, full effort. You go bench pressing and then somebody else helps you for the last few reps that you crank out with like crappy form. And then the last few days I was just there training like ending with like proper form and the guy i didn't ask him but she just came to spot me and then he was like hey what but that was easy bro totally confused that i stopped before like to to full full failure and before like it's still in many people's heads and it's something that's it's like embedded almost in the in the fabric of the universe and you even see it things like the entropy increases you need to have these times of like for example fasting when the body can see and make this this efficient so it's always this disbalance and i love to say live like a lion which is also they go activate the, the sympathetic nervous system bam go on a hunt hunt eat rest and this simple cycle like you just need to look to nature and yeah but i also see it was you shared it's it's coming the awareness is increasing because it's just logic but also shows how kind of sick and quote-unquote our society has been that it's so normalized to live in this, this expectation of bomb, 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 more, 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 doing, doing, doing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Our, our work is definitely needed to step out of the system and and help to bring that mm -hmm. balance back. So what's how do you start? What's one of the most impactful things if you maybe boil it down to to one thing? I mean, we mentioned already a few things, but just maybe to really distill yeah. it down, recovery in general, we mentioned, but yeah, maybe any specific example that comes to mind in your work. To, yeah. I can tell you, cut the bullshit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can go into a hundred examples now, but cutting the bullshit yeah. is one of the most impactful things I'm doing with my clients. And they're always like, yeah, but I, I think I don't have a lot of bullshit anymore in my life. I'm like, <clears throat> all right, let's see. And then I promise you, it takes a few weeks for us to go through things because here's the thing. We're still still doing, and I include myself, okay? Mm. I'm not perfect. Uh, yes, I'm the coach, and yet we're going to fall back all over again in our habits because we've building them up for so long. To undo them, it takes a minimum the same time, and I don't want to shock anyone, but the reason why it took me 10 years to undo all of this mind mm. trash 
was because I was fed for 25. So I'm going to have to do a few more years of undoing it, right? It's just logical. Like if you want to rewire the brain, it's not going to suddenly do overnight the same work it took 25 years to put into it first, you know? So <clears throat> with cutting the bullshit, I mean, for example, we have so many small unhealthy habits and i don't like to judge like good and bad so i say healthy and unhealthy because if i say you have this unhealthy habit but you want to keep it then keep it right but you know it's unhealthy at least but if i say good and bad we feel so much shame and blame and i don't like to do shame and blame i don't think it gets people further than than they can go so i don't like to do this whole shame and blame thing as much as i can so again, we have unhealthy habits, right? Um, and I point them out because I can see them, I can hear them, right? Um, same with behavior patterns. So a lot of times we have like self-sabotaging patterns, for example, that we are just not aware of. So I point these out. And again, my clients have the choice, are we gonna change it or not? But obviously most of the times they wanna change it um, unless they're like people or external circumstances or influences that kind of are are like a, you know uh, a part of it then sometimes it's like okay i can change this part but not this part right like family is one thing sometimes it's like it would be good for you to cut this person out and they're like i can i can set more boundaries i can't cut them out all right you know that's what it is um <clears throat> nutrition <laughs> <laughs> oh man we have so many things to cut out there yes. <laughs> seriously um, especially again in our world it's so much going to a supermarket everything is like full of seed oils and sugars and processed and even now especially mm -hmm. with like the vegan movement and you have like these vegan burgers with like 100 chemicals so it's not easy back to simplicity yes eat fresh food period Right. Oh, I'm missing I the mangoes. I know you're in Thailand right now. Mango sticky rice and all these tropical mango season. <laughs> we just said mango season here. Everything was mango. Oh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is that um I don't I don't really mind what type of diet you have, vegan, non-vegan, I don't mind. I don't mind that. But can you eat fresh? Like don't even go to the supermarket, go to the farmer's market, right? Like, not only do you get fresh food that is not processed, but you get also to support the local people. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Why would you want to support people who already have billions and billions of billions? They don't need your money necessarily. But hey, Frank from next door and Caroline and like, I don't know who, what all of their names are. They appreciate you supporting them. And just like you want your clients and whomever to support you, why don't you support them too, right? Like build some community, like have a little chat about their alpaca and why they have one. And I don't know, maybe, you know, and... I don't know, have like, have a little chat. And if you don't like to chat, just give them a smile, be like, thanks and go, go home. Like, I don't know, but you know what I mean, right? It's, it's yeah. um, like, I feel one of the things where globalization is great for like travel and tourism, whatever. But one of the things we may want to think about is taking things back locally. Like I'm trying to buy as many things as possible locally I have the only reason why I have an Amazon account is because of my book and because I sometimes send gifts for like birthdays to my um, niece and nephew and literally I've never ordered something really for myself I think if I say never I mean like two times in the last 10 years mm. right and so like why do we need to order all of this stuff online have all of this shipping all of this uh, plastic wrap everything if we can take it local yes it may be a little bit more inconvenient because you need to move oh my god guess what but those steps that you get in man they can we can see it that you reframing walk. everything oh i need to go right. to the supermarket it's activity 
just heard a study yeah. where they recently they were asking cleaning ladies and they were perceiving it not as exercise but just as their work and if you reframe it for them and then they're doing exercise even that shifted the response of the body so another reason to, to reframe it about yeah and so if you ask me like what's the most impactful really it's mm. cutting the bs and it's also cutting out the thoughts that and here's the thing before i finish the sentence thoughts are not our fault and they're also not ours like we have 50 to 80 thousand thoughts a day and most 90 percent of them are not ours which means they just come and go or sometimes they come and stick around and sometimes there's a thought traffic jam and sometimes it builds up and we have anxiety or whatever or maybe depression depending if you if you think about the future or if you think about the past but they're not you like you didn't make them the few thoughts that you sit down and be like what do i want to eat today those few thoughts that you actually create by consciously thinking about it they're like maybe five to ten percent right so we can stop blaming and shaming ourselves for all of these thoughts coming up and still taking re responsibility <laughs> really important stop the shame and blame and the guilt but taking responsibility mm. so <clears throat> for all of these thoughts we can cut the bs there so when I think about, I can't afford it, or when I think about like, oh, I want a pizza again, which I had, it was really good. But like all of these things, you know, we can decide, do I want to keep that thought or do I just want to kick it out? So that's cool. Right, you can choose. So you, instead of saying like, I don't want to have the thought at all, which never works, just say like, okay, how long do I want to entertain it? Do I just want to think today was a really exhausting day because everything was so loud? All right, that's enough. Or do I want to keep thinking about it and making my mood even worse? Because really, those neighbors are freaking loud with their construction, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. Especially that's also one of the things that I see, one of the mistakes people make when they get into meditation with like, oh, the goal of quieting the mind and emptying the mind and getting rid of the thoughts. When the core lessons that you kind of get from there is just like this letting go, just like stepping your tech back and seeing consciousness and these all these, these emotions, these feelings arise, but you don't have to grasp onto them, but you can let them go. Same with thoughts or any other things. So yeah. Really love that. Also the simplicity of it, cutting out the bullshit, taking back and in the end also the strategic process, which you just need to keep in life. You also mentioned it over time, it builds up again. And then if you don't have these cleaning periods, um, yeah, even we as high performance coaches, we are also just humans. So it's just building up faster than you can see. Great. So if there's anything you would like to share that you feel like was missing in this episode that comes up, now would be the chance. Otherwise, feel free to talk about where can people get in touch with you via your book. The links I will obviously put in the show notes. So, yeah. Um, what do I want to share with people that they should be knowing? It can be from the business, from your personal journey. So whatever comes up. I think if something one, comes thing, up. one thing that maybe is a little bit of a mind fuck, but maybe it helps people too, <laughs> is that the idea that time is time and time is linear is just not really how it works and people can let go of it. So the shortest version is time is an illusion, right? And so while we experience time as linear, I just want to throw out that idea that time in a linear form, meaning like the dates and the hours and everything have been created as a patriarchal system for the nine to five workers and employees to stay in place and to follow along and so if you don't want to follow along and if you if you feel like you want to create more time freedom for you you can certainly let go of having to follow times and dates and here's here's the thing Yes, we are still living in society. So if someone tells you to meet on Tuesday, 11 a.m., it would be great for you to be there on time. So that would be nice. But 
as an entrepreneur, I think we're pushing and pressuring ourselves so much that we have to achieve something so fast in so short time. And I don't believe that this is necessary. So meaning, uh, let's just say so, so many gurus out there in the internet marketing space throwing out, you need to have six figures in your first year, seven figures in the first five years, whatever, yada, yada. But what if you just say like, my goal is, you know, to just live happily and joyful and have a business that's fun. Like, what if those six figures suddenly came along in two months already? Who knows? Like, what if the time collapses because you have fun what you're doing and you're enjoying it, but you're not burning yourself out? Or what if those seven figures take 10 years, but then you have them and you can repeat them all over? Like, who cares if it was five or 10? You know what I mean? So I want to kind of plant the seed for people to maybe think a little bit about it or just let it come and go or just let it float. The time is an illusion and you can do whatever you want with your time. Yeah. Love it. Great, great um, finishing, which then leads us to the last thing. Where can people get in touch with you and find more out about you and your work, your book? Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name is Monique Lindner. I hope my name is spelled correctly on the website, <laughs> on the podcast. So then my full name is my website, moniquelindner.com. Um, if you wanted to get the book, The Time Method, it's the same name on Amazon. It's the same name as a website. And yeah, you can book a con uh, consultation with me if you want, just a one-off to see if that's a good fit for you or if you want to get your blueprint made for the next year to achieve your goals and actually have them tangible steps and everything, how to achieve it. Um, it's called a Big Move Session. It's on my website. And you can find me on Facebook, same name. I have just one name. I use it for everything. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today on the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast. If you like the show, please take a minute to review our show on iTunes or any other podcast platform. This will help me a ton to reach a bigger audience with the podcast, but also the most important thing to really get world-class leaders, world-class performers, experts, scientists, and ultimately just create amazing episodes with a lot of value for you. Thanks in advance for your support. My name is Maurice and I will see you on the next show of the Entrepreneurial Brain Podcast.